stories of walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. Welcome back to the PCOM Podcast. I'm Pastor Courtney, and I'm so excited today to be sitting here with Cassie Najem, <laughs> who is uh, a parent in our youth group and a volunteer in our youth group. And even more than that, she is cool on a level I will never be because she surfs and has not yet gotten eaten by a shark. So, Oh my goodness. Well, I'm so glad you're here, Cassie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're here to tell this incredible story, but Mm -hmm. before we get into that, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. You usually attend the awake service, so there are folks in our church who may never have even seen you before, even though you're here almost every week. Um, What do you like to do? What do you love to do when you're not shuttling kids to Uh, and fro? Well, for the past six and a half years, uh, we've been surfing, and that has become my most favorite thing to do. And um, it's funny because my husband, Ziad, wanted to take this surf lesson when we were on uh, like a couple's weekend away with the kids and away from the kids. <laughs> and um, he was really excited about it out of nowhere. And I was like, I am terrified of waves and sharks and cold water. And um, so we took this lesson and um, I kind of checked it off the box and he was all excited about it. And So we started uh, six months in and just getting pummeled by waves and surfing at all the wrong beaches. And um, There are wrong beaches? There are wrong beaches for the type of board that we had. We had long boards. Okay, tell me about that. I'm I'm interested. So we were surfing at waves that break quickly, and so you need a shorter board to kind of ride those waves. Oh, interesting. And and then Jackson invited us to go surfing with him on... um, a Friday morning at San Onofre, and it was the right kind of wave and the right kind of beach, and I caught my first wave there and just was totally hooked. It's like a fun like I've never had before as an adult. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we try to head out a couple times a week if we can. So Six and a half years of surfing. Yes, and I'm still not good. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any tips if anyone's like, I want to try it, I'm a little scared? Yeah, definitely start at the right beach. Have <laughs> someone take you that kind of knows what they're doing. Um, Doheny's a great place to start. Mm. And um, get a foam board from Costco, and you can return it if you hate it. <laughs> they're like, this is all dinged up. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I don't know how that happened. Yeah, so um, yeah, it just... It's it's a fun it's a fun thing to do. It's it's a hard learning curve, but once you get it, it's it's great. So. Do all your kids surf as well? They do. That's yeah, fun. So there's yeah. a family togetherness element yeah, to it too. For sure. The freedom of being out by yourself, but also yeah. you're gonna drive there and back yeah. together. Yes. It's the best feeling actually catching a wave with your kid and <laughs> you know, looking over and they're right next to you and yeah. It's You're great. Tempting me. You're tempting <laughs> you need me. to come out. Oh, yeah. Think about it. I'll think about it. Um, so, Cassie, you're here today in part yeah. to tell this incredible story of God's faithfulness. It's one of the reasons mm-hmm. we've started the podcast, or to share some of these stories that we might not otherwise hear. So, you have been through some things yes. in in your life, and. Um, yeah, tell us about what happened when you and Z were thinking of starting a family. Yeah, um, so it was actually September tenth, two thousand three. Um, I was pregnant with Mason, and 
my water had broken a couple days before undetected. And um, so it's once not I, always like in the movies, no, right? In the movies, it it's this giant tidal <laughs> wave, and water. that's not how it happens. Yeah. Always. Well, we later found out his head was in the hundredth percentile. So out of all, you know, hundred newborns, his his head would have been the biggest. Big and brain. Big so brain. So he was corking the whole water, you know. So they didn't figure that out until a couple days um, after um, it had broken, and so when I was admitted. They put me on Pitocin and tried to speed up the process. And I was I was in labor for um, a good two days. Um, wow. And then the last of those 12 hours, they decided they were going to do an epidural um, to kind of relax my body. Wait, so you had 36 hours of labor with yes. Pitocin without an epidural? Yes. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I just wasn't progressing. That's, that's next level. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, it was, it was hard, but you know, I, I was kind of determined to have a natural childbirth, but it didn't work out that way. So it did for a long time. Give yourself some credit (laughs) after 36 hours. I think you can. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they tried the epidural for 12 hours and it just, well, number one, it wasn't relieving any pain. And number two, it, it wasn't, um, helping the labor to, you know, progress where they wanted it to be. And because my water had been broken for a couple of days, they decided that it was time to move on to C-section. And um, I remember feeling toward the end of that epidural, like kind of not myself, uh, like like when you're heavily medicated, kind of like loopy. Um, I had some ringing in the ears and double vision. Um, and so those were... Those were signs of something to come, but they kind of got overlooked. And so um, they started operating, and Mason was delivered, and he was perfectly healthy. And maybe about 10 minutes after, they were still working on me. And um, all of a sudden, I was struggling to breathe, and I started to like sit up on the OR. They had the partition up and everything. They were still working on me. I was like sitting up and I was telling them I can't, I can't breathe, you know? And it happened so quickly, like in the matter of maybe 30 seconds where I was literally like gasping for air. And so they reacted quickly. They started running me down to ICU. And I remember just being, as they were running on the table, like in the hallway, Um, I remember sitting up and just gasping for that last breath of air. And I said, help me, Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really the last thing that I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, They quickly intubated me and um, started um, to medically induce me into a coma so that they could um, figure out I was in cardiac arrest, so yeah. my heart had stopped functioning altogether, and my lungs were filling with fluid, which is, you know, that drowning feeling that I mm. had. Um, so, yeah, they were they were going to try to figure out what had gone wrong. Um, my, Ziad was with me the whole time. Um, my family was in the waiting room, and my mom had heard you know, code blue, 24 year old female. And she was like, 24. Yeah, it was 24. Um, so she had heard that and she thought, you know, they were waiting for me to come out of the OR 
And so that kind of clued her in. And the next thing, um, the chaplain came to my family in the waiting room and kind of told them that, you know, he was there for support and the doctors came and said that the first 24 hours were going to be critical, um, whether or not I made it or what my heart was going to do. They didn't know. And, um, so yeah, I'm in a coma and in ICU and, um, the doctors really had no, uh, there was nothing that they could do to help me. They were basically there to just monitor the situation and then, again, try to figure out what had caused the cardiac arrest. And so it was kind of like a waiting time. Um, so Ziad would read my Bible to me while I was, um, you know, there. It was kind of quiet. Um, my family had started to spread the word, and this was before social media. Mm. Um, so, but word spread quickly, and I had um, my whole church family. My pastor was there at the time. Um, I had other whole churches, congregations praying for me. Um, so people just kind of came around and supported my family. And um, it was kind of, you know, I, I get these stories from my family because I was obviously not conscious. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was a, really a beautiful thing to see how they were surrounded. And I think in those first uh, three days especially, like when I was in the coma and they didn't know what was happening, I think God really used that time to kind of set the stage for what he was going to do and have people um, be wit like be witnesses to that. Um, the hospital staff was like, I was the talk of the hospital, of course, because mm -hmm. they, they could not figure out what had gone wrong. Right. That doesn't happen, right? Yeah. The odds of a 24-year-old going to cardiac arrest right. are so slim. Yeah. And they there was nothing that lined up with any kind of diagnosis and I had had a healthy pregnancy. Mm. So they were just totally stumped. They had specialists coming in from all over the place and um, no one could figure out what was going on. And so in those three days, my heart had started to improve and um, in kind of a, a, a miraculous way, like they they were, again, that was like another piece to the puzzle. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And um, so I was, they knew at that point I was going to make it. Um, and so then they were just trying to figure out what what had happened. Um, and so I want to say it was the fourth day um, in the coma. They were slowly starting to bring me back to consciousness. So I had some memories of sounds and, um, you know, different senses. Um, and they had decided that they were going to allow Mason to come into the ICU, which wasn't ever allowed, mm -hmm. um, for newborns especially. And, um, so what I remember from that is, um, like hearing his little newborn sounds and, um, feeling his breath on my face and feeling his warmth and mm. I of course the newborn smell yeah. I could smell him and um I remember that moment um and then my mom told me later that um she said it was the most like beautiful thing that she had seen and it was the hospital staff had come to watch that interaction 
and um, the ICU windows are all, um, you know, it's all glass. And she said that there were at least 50, like, hospital staff nurses and doctors that had lined the windows, and there wasn't, like, an open space. And, you know, there were lots of tears, she said. I'm crying. <laughs> if you could see me, I'm crying now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think, you know, over those three days, um, just feeling like they were a part of that um, and w- just being able to watch something like that happen and they were all amazed and it was just something that they were so touched to see and um, again we had had so much support with um, church family and friends and um, I think you know when you are a staff member seeing people in crisis all the time is very normal, but seeing people in crisis with Jesus added, um, that was something really unique and, um, special. And even in this time of like tragedy going on, there was still like this sense of peace. Um, so I, you know, I think that the Lord really set that time up as something special for people to witness. And, um, Mm -hmm. when they transferred me down to labor and delivery after, a week or so, um, so much of the, like the staff came to my room to tell me like, you know, it really strengthened their faith or it, it, you know, they got to witness a modern day miracle and something that they, they hadn't ever believed was like possible. They got to see that for themselves. And so, Mm. um, so yeah, that was a really special thing. Um, and also it was probably the day after uh, my interaction with Mason, um, Ziad knew that it was really important for me to, to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if you don't kind of start the body into that, it's kind of, it can be tricky to do that after. And so they brought the lactation specialist up to ICU and, um, she was, my mom and my sister were there and she was not very hopeful at all that, you know, she kind of gave them the warning that, you know, my body was in trauma and, it's just not something that has ever been done. And, um, so don't, you know, it might take some time, you know, weeks or months to kind of have my body produce. And so, um, but she was willing to try. So she hooked, she hooked me up and I thought I was at the spa. <laughs> I was still kind of coming into consciousness, you know, so I'm, are next. <laughs> so I'm surrounded by white and people are taking care of me. So that was my logical, um, explanation for that. And then, so they hooked me up, and uh, I guess my body produced like a regular, not just like a regular amount of colostrum, it was like above and beyond. And the specialist actually started crying. She was so amazed. Um, and she said that had never, ever been done before. And so, you know, it was, it was lots of things like this that kind of just added to... Um, you know, what God was doing and having people share that with each other in the hospital and just word kind of spreading. And, um, yeah. So on day seven, um, I was finally, my heart had recovered more than 50%. So I had gone from a like 0% function, um, to more than 50% in a, in a matter of seven days, which was a total miracle. Um, they still didn't really know what was wrong. Um, they gave me a diagnosis. They called it 
a diagnosis of exclusion. So basically they had ruled out um, all these major things and kind of this is what was left. Hmm. And it's a rare disease that only happens during pregnancy. It's called um, peripartum cardiomyopathy. And um, it's basically heart failure that happens during pregnancy. Um, When it does happen, you have a 50% chance of death. Um, And then the lucky people who make it have heart damage and damage for the rest of their lives where they will need heart transplants. And, um, you know, it's very serious Um, and also um, high risk of death for the baby. So, um, you know, I had recovered in such a way that was it didn't really fit that diagnosis either. Um, but that's kind of what they gave me. Hmm. Um, cause people with heart damage who have that disease, it can take them if they do recover, uh, years sometimes to regain full ejection fraction, um, for a normal healthy heart. And my heart actually recovered fully completely in two weeks. And so that, that was still kind of a, a mystery to them. And, hmm. um, my pulmonologist, who was like the first one on the scene, um, he, my family was super grateful to him and um, just how he reacted. And, you know, they told them that, told him that. Um, and he was like, I had no part in, you know, her outcome and saving her. You know, it was totally a supernatural um, thing that, hmm. you know, he goes, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, and so he, he kind of said that I was lucky to be alive, of course, and um, that Mason was healthy and that we should count our blessings and kind of move on, move forward from this. Hmm. And um, I was still sort of, I mean, I was conscious, but I was not fully aware of what had happened, like the seriousness of it all. I think everyone was pretty gentle with me trying to, you know, um, my mom did tell me eventually like that the chaplain had come and that Mm. I was, you know, it was kind of a life or death situation. And, um, so I was starting to become aware of what had happened. And this diagnosis was probably explained to me a couple of times before it finally clicked. My OB was telling me, you know, because, this happened now, you know, if you were to get pregnant again in the future, um, you know, it's not something that you really want to play with. And, um, the risk of death is high and, you know, that's when it finally clicked for me that I was just, our dreams of what we thought our family was going to be were just crushed. You know, um, I had wanted a big family of at least three kids since I was like a little girl and Ziad wanted like five or six kids. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, I think in that, in that time when I was, I thought about all the things that had happened up until this point and almost losing my life. And like, just the, I was still struggling with getting all the fluid out of my lungs. It was, it was a painful process mm-hmm. and it, it just didn't compare to the thought of, you know, not having any more kids. That was pretty devastating to me. Um, and I think in that time, God planted like this seed of hope 
um, there's like this little whisper um, that, you know, he's not confined by a medical diagnosis or, um, you know, those kinds of limitations and that, that he does show up in the impossible. And, um, you know, I was, I was heartbroken, but I was also expectant that um, I, I just had this feeling deep down that he was going to bring something big. And whether or not it was what I had wanted or what we had wanted for our family, it might not be that, but I knew he was going to, like, turn this around somehow. Hmm. And um, I also knew it was going to be a long journey. So, um, let's see. Hmm. There's the, the complications after a major health scare, health crisis, yeah. even when there's there are miraculous elements at play yeah. and there's healing. I think often we don't talk about the complexity of this is amazing. I'm better. I'm good. But also often there are side issues or there's loss even so, you know, right. and how do we, yes, God was at work. This was this beautiful miracle, but also coming to terms with this new reality that you thought might be your lifetime reality right. is really hard. And yeah. how do you make sense of that? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's hard because I was so grateful. And it's like that's the di dichotomy of my heart was this extreme gratitude and thankfulness. And this, on the other side, just feeling crushed and heartbroken. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know that I was ever allowed myself to really, like, mourn that that loss. And... Um, so, well, I think over the next couple of years, that's kind of what the process was for us. Um, we, um, yeah, sorry. No, take all your time. It's. Um, oh, so yeah, over the next couple of years, uh, we started to go see different specialists. And there aren't many specialists for this diagnosis. Um, it's a very rare thing that happens. And so the anesthesiologist who placed the epidural, um, he kind of admitted that it could have been misplaced and the medicine had been maybe going into my bloodstream for those 12 hours. And and were you like, CZ, I told you I didn't want an epidural, right? <laughs> no, right? <laughs> it was my OB. I was, I was like, yeah, this is why. <laughs> I had a birth plan. I did. Um, and so, yeah, I just he felt like it could have been, uh, it could have paralyzed my heart. He, mm -hmm. that was his theory. No one really agreed with him. Um, and so all like the specialists that we would see would give us these percentages of, you know, this is what would happen if you got pregnant and, you know, this is your chance of death and this is your chance of heart damage and, um, your chance of baby's death. And they were high, you know, like nothing you would ever consider. And to be honest, even if it was, 10% risk of death and, you know, 30% risk of heart damage. It's not, and that would be a very liberal estimate. Um, it's not something that we were willing to risk at that point, especially having a baby. And um, so I feel like that was just, um, you know, can, no, this is this is we can edit to the okay, ends of the okay. earth. And I wanted to actually ask while we're yeah. while we're paused here, I think to help our listeners understand, I often will hear people say, especially if someone's 
already had a baby, like, well, you already have one. Like, why is it so sad? There's kind of this idea that you've got one, you should just be happy. And can you talk about why that's kind of a harmful idea or why that wasn't the case for you? Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And that's something I struggled with actually myself. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, our yearnings and longings for things. I was at the point where I just feel like, even though I was so grateful and I would, every prayer would be like, Lord, I'm so grateful for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing me through. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for Mason. And on the other hand, it was just this despair over the idea that, you know, a biological family was, was lost to us. And, um, you know, I, I don't, it was at the end of those two years, honestly, that my heart was just done feeling this, this deep rooted pain over Mm -hmm. this and longing for something that wasn't going to happen. And, um, that's when I did pray that prayer. Like I, I need you Lord to align my heart with yours. Like if Mm -hmm. this is not your will, like I don't, I don't want to long for it any long anymore, you know? I only want to long for the things that you have planned for us. And um, if this is not one of them, you know, please take this this despair um, away. And I don't want to want those things anymore. So it's a brave prayer. It was, well, it took two years, I think. <laughs> God is <laughs> patient really... <laughs> that way. There's, there's a lot yeah. of, you know, holding the gratitude and the yeah. despair intention and that God is so patient with us in those complicated places. Right. Yeah. And it was really the first time that I, I genuinely 100% left that and just laid that at his feet. And I was okay with whatever outcome, you know, was going to be. And you know, I just, I just didn't want to hurt any longer. Yeah. Um, and that prayer of God align my will with yours is, is such a deep prayer, right? If, if I have to give up this hope, this desire, because you don't have this for me, this thing that I want. Right. Um, yeah. And that search for peace rather than your idea of what you should have. Right. It was literally like, I, I was, when I was thinking about this story, I was like, that is the heart transplant that I, Mm. that I got, you know, that was really, um, you know, what I, what I needed to, um, do to, to kind of make peace with this. And, um, um, Mm. I think, well, I don't know if I should go back and I can also move stuff. Do the surrogacy. I can move stuff before I can move stuff after. So We'll make it chronologically make sense. Okay. That was like my biggest thing. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so, yeah. The... You're doing awesome. Okay. Yeah, so eight months after Mason was born, um, my sister had, uh, she felt compelled that she wanted to um, be a surrogate. She was only 21 at the time and unmarried, and um, so we had to go through a lot of counseling um, and um, find a specialist that was going to um, be very conservative with her. Um, right. And so we 
did two in vitro processes with her. We only um, tried one embryo at each time just to make sure that she wouldn't have uh, multiples. And both times failed, and she was just, we were all crushed. But I think she especially, because that was something that she felt deep in her heart that she really wanted to do for us. And um, at that time, it was really the only hope of having biological children. Um, And so, yeah, that was something that I think brought our family closer together, too. And just one of those next step things that we felt God was calling us to do and it didn't work out. And so we waited again patiently for another year um, after that. And the anesthesiologist that um, I mentioned had been, uh, he was writing actually a medical journal on my case. And so he would call every six, well, like three to six months and meet with us and kind of go over my health and Um, any updates that he had had with talking to other specialists who were were kind of, um, I guess, agreeing with him on his theory that it was the epidural. Hmm. And no luck. (laughs) No luck on that, but he called us. (laughs) Worth a shot, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so after that prayer that I, you know, where I was asking God to really align my heart with his and that, you know, I was ready to just move on to whatever his will was for us. I, um, I felt a lot of peace after that. Um, the longing did not go away, but I just felt, um, I don't know, more at peace with what, what the, the timeline might be, that it might be, you know, a while before that longing went away. Hmm. And so he called maybe a couple weeks after that prayer and he said, I want to meet with you guys. And, um, you know, I have a specialist that is interested in your case, and he is the head of the women's hospital at Saddleback. Hmm. And um, so Ziad and I agreed to meet. Uh, we also agreed that that would be our last specialist meeting because we had gone to so many at that point, and you know, we kind of knew what the, what the deal was as far as risk of death and risk of heart damage and. Um, you know, none of that was really acceptable to us. So, um, and also the liability, even if someone was willing to, you know, ad- admit that, you know, it wasn't going to be a factor, the peripartum cardiomyopathy, that um, the liability of taking on my case was not, that wasn't ever going to happen. Um, so we, the night before uh, we went to that meeting, I for the first time in my life, I prayed a very specific prayer. And um, even though I, I just knew that it wasn't going to amount to anything, the meeting, I, I prayed that if it was God's will, that um, here's kind of what I needed to know for myself. And I needed to have zero risk of death for myself and for baby and um, zero risk of heart damage. And all of those things were impossible. Um, and I mean, it feels like even for, <laughs> you know, someone who didn't, didn't have your history that they yeah. would never say pregnancy right. has zero risk of death, right? Like there's Absolutely. always a tiny, tiny chance something Absolutely. will go terribly wrong. So you were almost asking for miracle number two, right? I like was. this is what I need. Yeah. And, and not that I was like demanding it, but, the, but that I just, this is what I needed to know. Like if this is the path that you want us on, this is what I need to know. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And, and then secondly, um, I asked that if this was God's will, that he would, um, that the, the doctor would actually have to advise us to get pregnant, mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be my choice that he would say like, you know, and, and again, that was, I, that was never going to happen. Um, and so we went to the meeting and, um, he got right down to business and opened up my file and he said that he had uh, reviewed my case and he did not believe that I had peripartum cardiomyopathy. Uh, he had talked with the anesthesiologist and kind of agreed with what he was thinking and his theory. Um, and I was like, that's all fine and good, but what if I do have this? Um, I can't go off what you're saying. I didn't say that. Um, I was just quiet, but in his next breath, he said, you know, but if you do have this, here's what we can do. I'm going to monitor you every two weeks, every three months, you're going to get an echocardiogram of your heart. And if for some chance it's going, you know, gets enlarged or it's the heart function starts to diminish in some way, I can actually stop it with medication. Um, and I can, it happens later in pregnancy, so I can deliver the baby so he will be, she will be fine, and there will be zero risk of heart damage. And <laughs> I don't think Ziad and I said anything. We were in total shock at this point. Um, he said there would be zero risk of death for me, um, zero risk of heart damage, and um, and then he said, if you guys are planning on having more children. Um, I need you to get pregnant like yesterday. And that's what he said. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. I I don't even know if I fully heard what he said, you know, at that time, because we were just sitting there in total shock about the first part. And and then he reiterated, you know, like I it's important that you don't take time on this. If you're gonna have more children, you have them right away. And I will take your case. And um we left. We said nothing to each other. We had like these goofy grins on our faces and um, we got in the car and I think we just kind of like laughed and like, can you believe that what he just said? And it was, you know, I told him about the prayer that I had prayed the night before and um, I think I was, it was just, I was stunned that God had actually provided exactly what I had needed in order to know. And I think we felt for such a risky decision, we felt so confident about that. And we knew that, you know, that was the next step. And, um, you know, we told our families and they were nervous, (laughs) of course. Um, and then I prayed again. I had, you know, we had a little bit of, it took a while for us to get pregnant with Mason, took six months. And, I just knew that if time started to go by and I wasn't getting pregnant, I would start to doubt that I, you know, was this God's will? Did I misinterpret something? Um, And so I just asked that if it was his will that I would get pregnant right away. And literally two weeks later, I was pregnant. (laughs) So um, the doctor was pretty, he was like, wow, you guys don't waste any time. We follow our orders. We're, yeah. You said. We are good patients. <laughs> so um, it was just, 
unbelievable. And um, her, my pregnancy with her was totally normal. Um, you know, what did it feel like heading up to that second delivery? Was there fear? Was there anxiety? Or was it like, God, this is in your hands. You led us to this place. Like, believe it or not, I was not anxious at all. Um, I felt, you know, I was healthy the whole time. So I just, I don't know. I felt very reassured that number one, this was God's plan for us and that he was, it was in his hands and um, that everything was going to go smoothly. I didn't have any um, nervousness about that. It was a really, like, it was a really beautiful, like, delivery and just that time that I had um, with Madeline after she was born that I didn't get with Mason. And so that was like a whole new experience, Mm -hmm. and it was all just wonderful. And um, we felt so content and blessed and you know, I, I can't even describe, you know, how grateful I was. And, you know, um, I would have never have thought to ask for more children. You know, that was, you, you know, got the variety. I got, you got the boy and the girl, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I just, I was so done and, um, you know, to take another risk would just be not something I was going to do. And, um, I felt so content at that point. And so we took all the precautions not to get pregnant. Um, Again, it was a risky thing, even though her her pregnancy had gone well. Um, you don't want to press your luck yeah, after a certain exactly. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were very careful and um, still <laughs> still being careful. Um, three months later, I was pregnant again with Hudson. And again, I probably should have been nervous. I was not. I felt... If anything, I was still in my maternity pants, so I was kind of like, "Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do this again." Right, and I, I just guess got I'll just over keep it. Wearing these then <laughs> forever. Um, so yeah, I I I felt, um, you know, na- no anxiety over that. Ziad was ecstatic; he was so excited about it. And halfway to six, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. So um, that was another thing I would have never believed, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I felt really blessed and amazed and, and, um, just watching God work and yeah. What a story, Cassie. (laughs) What do you feel like now? So Hudson is, he's 12, he's 12. So the end of this story in a way was 12 years ago. What do you feel like you've carried with you from that season? Like, how are you different Yeah. Um, Well, I know that my faith was forever strengthened. Um, I know um, in that time of sorrow and, you know, heartbrokenness that um, God was with me and near me and comforted me. Mm. Um, I know that he heard me. Um, I know that he... I got just a small glimpse of how much he loves us and um, he wants to give us the desires of our hearts and um, yeah, that when we submit to his will and lay everything before him that he, he makes beautiful things and yeah, I love how he, um, it's hard for me to tell this story sometimes because it gets, you know, um, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude 
Hmm. still like 16 years later. And, um, you know, he set everything up in such a way that, you know, if, if I didn't have all these medical professionals and people telling me like, Oh, it was such a miracle. Like everybody that I encountered that knew this story. And even my atheist cardiologist, (laughs) even he admitted that this was something supernatural. Hmm. And so, um, you know, if I didn't have, you know, everyone telling me that, you know, this was so miraculous and it would be easy to downplay or just, you know, it was coincidence or to explain it in some way. But I, I just love that God set it up this way that um, we can only give him the credit mm. and that he is glorified in um, all of these, you know, circumstances, basically. So, um, yeah. Incredible story. Thank you. What would you tell someone who's on the cusp of their own difficult diagnosis or, you know, I think we're, we're at the end of October. This will probably air early December, but October is pregnancy and infant Mm -hmm. loss awareness month. And I think we don't talk as much as we should in the church about unfulfilled desires and when hope doesn't come true. And you had those two years of really wrestling, yeah. right? Like this yeah. was the vision for my family and the plan for my family. And and your story mm-hmm. has a wonderful, happy ending and they right. don't always. And, but those two years were really hard. And what would you yeah. tell someone who's in the middle of those two years? Oh, um, I think to stay close to God, that he can handle your, um, you know, your despair and your anger and your frustration. Um, and I read a lot of Psalms during that time. Mm. I felt like just the human emotions that David, like, describes. And, and I just love that he was always talking to God. And, and I felt like even and sometimes the, not politely, yeah, yeah, which I yeah. think is such a helpful permission, right? To be able right. to say to God, what is the deal, right? Exactly. Like I am u- upset right now. Yeah. And I think that's what I felt when I read those. I'm like, I, I do have permission to kind of, and, and like I said, he, he can handle, God can handle that. And he already knows that. And, yeah. and so to stay close with him during that time when you're wrestling and, you know, you don't, it's not always, yes, I'm so thankful and so joyful and, you know, it's not always those kinds of prayers. Hmm. Um, and that, yeah, just to stay close and that he can handle those big emotions and that he's there. Um, I think in like the loneliest times, you know, that I remember I felt, you know, maybe that he wasn't there and then I would, you know, read something or pray. And I, I just felt like his comfort wash over me and, Hmm. um, yeah. Good word. Yeah. And your kids, I only know your kids a little bit, but they are so cool. They are so cool. And the world needs them. Oh. Like, I'm so glad that I'm so glad Thank that you. the one turned into three. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I, I never would have, you know, I, I had this um, prayer warrior friend that offered to come pray with me after Mason was born. And I hadn't talked to her in a long time and she just kind of offered to show up and pray. And we were in his nursery and she just started praying and she didn't know a lot about me at that time. And we hadn't talked in a while. And I remember her specific prayer that, um, my story would be a testimony and that, um, she said when I would like 
go to tell this story that my children would walk behind me, not one, not two, but three mm. children. Mm. And um, I don't know why she specified that number, but I, I thought of that after. And I thought, you know, that was um, just another way that God kind of like, you know, comes into play and touched, you know, my heart and... The signposts of God's faithfulness along yeah. the way, that 0% yeah. that you were looking for right. and the three children. And I think when our eyes are open and we start to really give God those huge feelings and, and be in touch with those things, we start to just become aware yeah. of these levels that God is working on. Like, right. do you need a little encouragement? How about this? Do you yeah. need a little reminder? How about this? Yeah, there's always these little seeds that he plants um, in those times when you just need to hear one little word of encouragement or a yeah. little whisper or, you know all those things that he just provides. And yeah. Well, Cassie, thank you for taking the time. Busy mom, busy surfer. And you work. It's not like you're just at home eating bonbons. What do you <laughs> no. do when you're not shuttling children? Um, I do. I handle the marketing for Cedar Real Estate. For That's our, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you and you and Ziad work together. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl and I know a thing or about a thing or two about that. It's awesome almost it's a, all the time. It is. It is awesome almost all the time. <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you, Cassie. I, I'm course. so honored that you've shared your story, not just with me, but with uh, with PCOM at large. Mm. And I hope and pray that it's an encouragement to folks. I, I think of that image of you in the bed, mm. in a coma, mm -hmm. and having having them bring Mason to you and just the healing, the healing power of a new yeah. life and of God present in that room and right. the faces pressed against the window and how God's story is so much big, bigger than just for us. Right that that hospital was different because right. of because yeah, of absolutely. the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And now I'm crying again. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> the well, podcast comes with Kleenex. <laughs> well, thank you for this platform. I think it's a wonderful thing, and I, I love hearing others' stories, too. It's very encouraging. So. so was it terrifying? You survived it? I survived it. So if someone out there is listening and has a great story of God yeah. at work, come on in. It's not <laughs> scary. We would love to share your story here on the Pecom Podcast. And that's all for today's show. I'm Courtney Ellis, one of the pastors here at PCOM. Tune in next time for more stories of God at work.